All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter and number 8. I want to uh, read a portion of Scripture for you there. We, we talked about Genesis a couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to go to a specific incident that happened in Genesis and, uh, and uh, draw some comments for us out of that and maybe some practical lessons that might help us. So Genesis chapter number 8. Genesis chapter number 8, we'll begin reading <clears throat> in verse number 1, okay? Verse number 1, Genesis chapter 8. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged and the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually and after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro and, uh, until the waters were dried up from off the earth. And he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her feet, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into, uh, unto him in the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came into him that evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. And so Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth, and he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. Father, would you give us the thoughts and the lessons, Lord, uh, the application of this, and how that you might help our life with it, and I pray that you would do something great for us, dear God, tonight and speak to us, Lord Jesus, as only you can through the Holy Spirit. And, and we'll thank you and praise you. Thank you for every person that's here tonight. Bless, dear Lord, in your name we ask these things. Amen. All right, so um, I, I, got a, I got a, just sort of, I'll lead in with this. I got a... Uh, Text. Somebody sent me a video. I think it was Chad sent a video out, and in it was a couple of food fights that have gone on and have made YouTube. They go back to one that happened some time back where people were fighting over crab legs. They were in a restaurant. The restaurant ran out of crab legs, and a fight broke out. I like to say that scripturally, I think that's justified, okay? If it's over crab legs, I mean, let's, it's time to throw down, all right? If you run out of crab legs, you did not prepare properly and should suffer the consequences. However, uh, uh, the other fight, which was the main part of the news story, was at a golden corral. And so these people are in line, and a guy in line orders a, a, a piece of steak uh, from the buffet there, and he orders it rare. Well... The guy behind him obviously ordered something medium well or whatever, and he actually got his steak first when it has to cook a lot longer. This is the thinking of the guy. So he, the, the chef gives the guy behind him his medium well steak before he gets his rare steak, and the fight breaks out. And I want to just tell you, it's on YouTube. I mean, they're throwing chairs. One guy picks up a table and has wrestled down from throwing a table at somebody. They're throwing punches. It's unbelievable. The police get involved, and, and they said that there were 40 different people that were involved in that altercation because of the fact that, that uh, they... Uh, 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 one guy gets his steak served earlier than others. Now, I hope none of you were a part of that. I'm not sure where it was, but anyhow, it makes me nervous. They obviously were hungry, okay? The guy in line was hungry for a steak. He didn't get it and was extremely disappointed. That's, it's, it's tragic to me how, how people could do something like that over a piece of steak. But that's the day and age, I think, in which we live, and so... It's sort of uh, 
sort of unique. Let me, let me catch you up with where we're at. There's no way in our text that we can overemphasize the magnitude of what has taken place in verses that lead up to chapter 8. I mean, the world literally has imploded on Adam because Adam willfully sins and partakes of a fruit that God had forbidden him to take. And in doing his act of disobedience, now Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden, okay? Now, if Adam thought that his sin was going to be a one-and-done thing and that they would immediately begin to repair the breach and, and get the world straightened up, can I tell you that here we are in 2022 and the world still isn't straightened up? And in fact, and in fact it's getting worse and worse every year that you and I live. I can certainly look back to the world in which I was uh, uh, Ben's age, and I can just tell you the world that Ben is growing up in is a far different world than the world that I grew up in when I was playing Little League ball and Pony League ball and, and so on and so forth. So I don't think Adam had any idea at that point how far-reaching the consequences of his actions would be. And, and, and I know his heart was broken when his oldest boy murdered his youngest. And we talked about that when we were going through the book of Genesis. And, 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 and his oldest son becomes a fugitive. It's staggering if you think about it. Here's a man that lived in the pristine beauty of, of the Garden of Eden. God had given him everything. The animals were his to name and control. I mean, it was unbelievable the environment in which Adam... Uh, and Eve had, had that first family. And yet now a son has been murdered and now a son is a fugitive and, and he lives 930 years, Adam does. 930 years, Adam uh, uh, saw the consequences of what his sin had caused upon this earth. And gone, by the way, gone were the days when Adam and Eve are, are gone were the days when man himself walked in the cool of the garden with God and, and uh, lived in, in an absolute utopian harmony. Sin had reigned and sin had wrecked and ruined all that man had once enjoyed. And in fact, it got so bad that the Bible said that God looked to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 and saw that the wickedness of man's heart was great upon the earth, and that every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And so man is just in a downward spiral from the, from the, from the sin in the garden. Things don't get better, things get worse. And, 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 and it became so degenerate that God just said, that that's, in fact, it repented the Lord that he had made man, and, and God was sorry that he had created man. It grieved God at his heart. And things deteriorated to such a degree that, um, according to the genealogies given in Genesis, um, that, that uh, uh, 1,600 and some odd years after God had created Adam, now God determines that he's going to destroy the world with the flood. And so he does. Incredible. Henry Morris, who is one of the great scholars, believes that during that time, because of the perfect, perfect utopia that was on earth, and that earth was, was canopied by a shield of water that, that filtered the rays of the sun, that the death rate was not anything like it is today. I think that's obvious, don't you, that Adam lived 960 years? Okay, People lived long lives then. You were just a youngster, you know, basically when you were 100 years old. And so Henry Morris believes that the population of the earth at that time, if you take all of that into account, was 10 billion people when the flood came. We get the idea that it's, it's some, you know, small smattering of people that die, but, but if you do the math, it, 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 it makes sense. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, we find that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and, and uh, uh, God told Noah that he was going to send a flood and so uh, God flooded the earth. And, and 
boy, the traumatic experience. Can you imagine when, when the waters above and the waters beneath broke loose and suddenly water is churning over the earth and sweeping people off hillsides and destroying homes and raging like a tsunami through villages and carrying debris with it and people are fighting for their life. And I've been in, I've been in the, uh, the Louvre in France and there's a famous picture called the flood and there on the, on the side of a mountain is someone reaching out and they've got a child there and the waters have risen and the family is dying and, and, and there's no hope for anybody on the earth except for Noah and his family that have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I want to talk with you, first of all, about the ark. I want to just take a moment and talk with you about that for just a few moments. How many of, how many of you have visited the remake of the ark? Okay, that's a fabulous thing. If you ever get an opportunity to do that, it's in Kentucky, isn't it, Chad? If you ever get a chance to do that, let me just promise you this. It's unbelievable. It is so well worth your time there because it will imprint upon you uh, what the ark looked like and the capabilities of carrying animals and things. It's amazing. It's one of the great things along with the Creation Museum, which isn't too terribly far from that. And, and, uh, but you need to plan a day. If you're going to go, you need to take a day to do that. It's a great visit and well worth it. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7 tells us that God forewarned uh, Noah of the coming judgment, and so Noah now uh, either must rebel or obey the Lord. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, okay? So we know that that's the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Well, Noah is here because by faith being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Okay, the judgment wasn't coming yet, but God told Noah the judgment would come. And so Noah acted upon what, what he acted upon the word of God, what God had said to him. It was something that was not seen. Judgment was not falling. And yet he believed the word of God that judgment was coming. I watched the news today. And as I listened to the broadcast of the news, and as they talked about so many things going on in our world today, and the problems and the troubles and nation rising against nation and the pandemic and, and the famines and all the things around the world, my mind went immediately to the book of Revelation and, and uh, chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and, and, and the things that were going to break loose during that time. And I began to think about how that the Word of God has warned us and told us about what this world uh, is preparing for. And, and you can see the dress rehearsal of all of it taking place around us. And so Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah remember that, that, that uh, the Bible says uh, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so the Bible says that Noah preached to people. He wasn't just a carpenter building an ark. Here was a man that took God at his word. Men, I want to tell you something. We're going to have to make a choice in our life as to whether we're going to be people that go with the flow or we're going to, whether we're going to be men that lead our families and, and that take a stand on the word of God and believe the Bible above every other voice speaking to us and there's a lot of voices out there today. So I want to just tell you right now, what we need in our homes is we need men of God. We need men of God that have faith in God. Men of God that, that, that believe the Word of God. Men of God that are willing to take a stand and lead their family in the right direction because um, uh, the, the reality of the matter is uh, uh, it's not just a man of God that stands behind a pulpit. And, and there have been plenty of people that have stood behind pulpits that weren't men of God. And so that's, that, that's not the ultimate criteria. Well, he stands behind a pulpit and thumps the Bible. No, that doesn't make somebody a man of God. And so we've got to have the integrity of heart to believe God, to follow God, to take God at His word. And that's exactly what Noah did. He built an ark. Now, I want you to think about the absurdity in his faith, the, ab the absolute audacity of this man, the audacity 
that he would step out in front of everybody and say, I don't care what anybody, I'm a preacher, I'm going to preach the Word of God, I'm going to tell them that judgment is coming, and I'm going to build exactly, go, again, go to Kentucky and look at it. Go get your jaw dropped as you stand outside and look at this edifice that is the exact measurements of what God told Noah. Walk through the middle of it, deck after deck, and see what it was. It's staggering. And here is a man that, that believed God's Word, and he built something that had no practical use whatsoever at the time that he built it. Can you imagine people saying, what are you building? What you got all this going on around here for? Well, I'm building an ark. Okay, what's that? Well, it's, it's a giant boat. And they begin to look at they begin to look at the dimensions of this boat, and they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him, but he had confidence and faith in the word of God. And while the rest of the world scoffed at judgment and ridiculed the ark that the old man was building by faith, they were living life their way. They had no fear of the consequences of their lifestyle, and they felt no need for God. Okay, we talked about this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. Luke chapter uh, 17, verse, verse 26 and verse number 27. They did eat, they, they drank, they, they, they married, wives were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. <coughs> nothing wrong with eating. <coughs> Excuse me, nothing wrong with eating. They were hydrating. They were marrying. Their kids were getting married. It's all a part of life. What, well, 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 why? Why, is, why, are those, why are those things given? What God is showing us is they were just running the routine. They were living by muscle memory. They were doing the same old, same old every day. They ate. They hydrated. They went to work. People got married. Life just continued on as it had always continued on. But the problem was... They did, not, they did not take God into any accounting of their life. They just thought they could do what they wanted to do and get away with it. Years ago when Monday Night Football was early and popular, they had Dandy Don Meredith and, and uh, uh, um, Howard Cosell. What was the other guy? Anybody remember the other guy? Played for the Giants. Okay, anyhow, I, I, I can see his face and I can't. Uh, uh, Frank Gifford. And so those three guys were on there. And, and when the game would get out of hand, Dandy Don would start singing, turn out the lights, the party's over. Okay. Well, the problem is the world never thinks the lights are going to be turned out. The party's never going to end. We're just rolling on, having ourselves a good time. And, and some godless individual who lives his life totally contrary to the Word of God blasphemes God with his mouth, with his life, with his attitude. He dies, and Christian people on Facebook are writing, rest in peace. Well, if you believe the Bible, he's not resting in peace. There, there is no peace. So you can say rest in peace, but that does nothing but make you look foolish because there is no rest, saith God, to the wicked. And, and, and so here's Noah. He's in the ark, and... and um, uh, the world was busy, as it is today, doing their own thing with no fault of consequences. They had no idea in their mind. They entertained no thought that they would be accountable to a holy God. And so they did what they wanted to do. And uh, I want to tell you, the reality of the matter is we're living in that day. Uh, we're living in that day. Christianity is mocked. The Bible is relegated to a, a, a book of mythology. Uh, in fact, mythology is given more uh, credentials in our media than the, than the Bible is. Uh, and, and, and so uh, if you think that God created the world and, and uh, male and female created he them, if you believe the Bible version of creation, then you're a hate monger and you're, you know, you're a member of some cult that's... that's uh, uh, that's whacked out, and, and the, the problem is we're not progressing, we're digressing. That's exactly what's happening in the world, and, and there are consequences today, and there's judgment in the future. G. Campbell Morgan said this, departure from God, departure from God is the secret of national 
denigration. Boy, he's spot on. I want to tell you something. As we begin to drift from God, as we begin to drift from God, we wind up in a mess. I preached over at Centennial Baptist School this morning, and, and I, told, I told them the story of the prodigal son. One of the things I said was the first step away from the father that the prodigal took was, was a lack of gratitude. The journey of the prodigal begins by not being able to look around and count the blessings. I mean, he had everything that a kid could want in life, and yet he wound up somewhere in a hog pen. But the first step to the hog pen wasn't even a physical step. It was a, it was a mental step. It was a spiritual step that I'm not happy for what my father's provided. I'm not happy with what my father has done. I don't want anything to do with my father's house. I'm leaving him, and I'm doing my own thing. And it was, the unthankful, it was an unthankful heart, a heart of ingratitude that led him to the front door and down the road wound up in the hog pen. I want to tell you, if we remain thankful, we'll never, we'll never find that place in life. We'll never find the hog pen. Now, a couple of things I want to say before we move to our next point. First of all, they were saved in the ark. Okay, because everything about them, judgment was, every, everywhere judgment was raging. And so what was it that saved them? The waters heaved and the waters churned and lightning crashed and flashed and and the thunder rolled, and, and the rain came in torment, torrents, and the earth was covered by water all of a sudden, and swirling riptides. I mean, there are places that I've been before where they've had signs up, and it said, do not swim, dangerous riptides. I've been caught in a riptide. I saved a lady's life one time that was caught in a riptide. I want to tell you, it's a horrible thing. But do you realize that the entire world, basically, at that time, it was riptides. The water was churning, and, 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 and if Morris is right, 10 billion people died without God and without hope. It's unbelievable, unbelievable, catastrophic event in the history of our world. But inside the ark, things were different. Inside the ark, there was order. Inside the ark, everything was dry. Inside the ark, there was no screaming. Inside the ark, there was a good night's sleep. Inside the ark, there was peace. Inside the ark, there was warmth. Inside the ark, they were saved from the things that had happened. Now listen carefully to me. They had not earned it. They did not deserve it. Okay? It wasn't something that was given to them because of their merit. It's that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, okay? Noah was an individual whose heart was tuned toward God. And let me tell you, salvation is by grace. And I'm so thankful for God's mercy and God's grace. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So I'm thankful. If you want to find out where I'm going to face wrath at, go to Calvary. And you'll find God's anger at Dean. That's where you'll find it. You want to see my judgment? Go to the cross. You want to see my hell? Go to the cross. You want to see my retribution? Go to the cross. Jesus took that upon him. And, and uh, I'm forever grateful that he did. Not only were they saved in the ark, but they were safe in the ark. I, I, I like the thought of, of that. Um, Nothing could get them, nothing could get to them in the ark. And when you're saved, it doesn't mean you don't have heartaches and struggles. But I want to just tell you that, 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 that in the ark, in that there's a, there's a safety there, and that we know that we are under the watch care, or, and we are in the embrace of our God and our Heavenly Father. And I'm so grateful for that. I love the song, I feel the touch uh, of hands so kind and tender. They're leading me in the paths that I must trod. I have no fear for Jesus walks beside me and I'm sheltered in the arms of God. So let the storms rage high, let the dark clouds rise, they don't worry me for I'm sheltered, safe, within the arms of God. He walks with me 
and naught of earth shall harm me, for I'm sheltered, safe within the arms of God. So I'm grateful that they not only were saved from the wrath that came upon a Christ-rejecting world, they rejected the preaching of righteousness that Noah brought to them. They had also, by the way, rejected the preaching of Enoch who preached the second return of Christ before Christ had ever come the first time. So this is a generation of people that had heard a lot of preaching from godly men and had rejected it all. And they found grace in the eyes of the Lord, this family did, and, and, and not only were they saved from the wrath, but they were safe in the storm. And then they were, they were secure. I, and, and Listen, I, I love this because when Noah had finished his task, okay, Noah had a job to do, and his job was to obey his Lord. And his Lord told him what to do, and Noah did it. Well, you know what happened when the task was over and God was finished with Noah as far as the building of the ark is concerned? The Lord shut him in. I mean, those were the, that's it. The Lord shut him in. We're not kept by our power. We're not saved. We're not saved because we've earned it. And by the way, we don't stay saved because we deserve it. We're kept by His power. You can't lose your salvation. Jesus is our ark. And, and He shuts us in. And we're safely cradled within His hands and His hands in the Father's hand. The beautiful picture that, that, that is given us there uh, in the New Testament. John chapter 10 uh, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want to tell you something. You know, people can wrestle all they want to wrestle with it. Have, have at it. Worry yourself to death. But if you've been born again, if you've been born again, your salvation is, is eternal it's everlasting. Those are the words that God the Father chose Himself. And so you're, you can't lose your salvation. Now you can, you can disobey God, you can get out of fellowship with God, and you can be chastised by the Lord. But you're not going to lose your salvation. And I'm grateful for that beautiful picture of salvation that we're given in the ark. Now the second thing I want you to notice here, I want to go back now, okay? So now we've got Noah, we've got his family, the animals, they're all in the ark. They're saved, they're safe, they're secure. The door was shut not by Noah, it was shut by God, and they're there until God opens the door, okay? On the other side of the flood, all right? But then we find some interesting things that happen, okay? Uh, time goes on and the storm outside abates and the flood begins to subside. And Noah wanted to see if there was any dry ground outside. And so... Noah decided that what he was going to do is send out a raven in hopes that the bird would bring back some indication of land. But a raven is a scavenger. And the raven's appetite, once he left the ark, allowed him to enjoy the carnage that had been enacted upon this earth. There were, there were I mean, you're thinking about 10 billion people there was death everywhere. And so the raven, being a scavenger, when he went out, I want to tell you, the raven found everything that he possibly could have needed to, in, to, to fill his appetite and, and to enjoy the things that were there. And so here's what happened. The raven never came back. He had no need to come back. The raven could live upon the filth that was floating upon the waters of an earth that had been cursed by God and, and live off of the flesh, the decaying, the, the decaying flesh of a wicked and sinful world. Now, that's not a very good picture. That's why I'm doing it in the men's meeting and not with the ladies. It's not something you discuss maybe at the table, okay? But the reality of the matter is, is simply this. God's giving us a perfect picture here of how He views our worldly appetite. It sickens Him. I mean, think about, think about the things that man craves. Think about the pornography that is on our, our cell phones, our computers, on our television. Think about the drive 
that, 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 that the hunger and the appetite that men have for things of the world and sit and watch things that degrade them and pull them down and, 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 and literally transforms their life into something that should be wholesome and good and brings them to a place to where they have wicked and evil uh, imaginations. I, I want to tell you, um, it's, 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 an amazing, it's an amazing thing how fleshly we are, how worldly our appetites are in this world. We're like a raven so many times. I've been to Paris twice. I've told you this before, I'm sure, but when in Paris there's a there's a pastry shop right near the 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 Gare du Nord, the, the the train station that's there that is amazing. It's the best pastries in all the world. If I lived in that neighborhood, I would weigh about 300 pounds plus 600 more. I mean it's amazing. The food is absolutely incredible. If, if, I, if I had anything, somebody said, you got a last meal, what is it? I would say, I, I, want, I want pastries from that shop. Fly them in, man. And I'll smile in my last few minutes here on earth. It's absolutely unbelievable. And just honey-glazed pastries and chocolate chip-filled, melt-in-your-mouth pastries. It's absolutely amazing. Well, you know, if I were to say to you that that uh, you know, I went to India one time. Let me just give you this story. And there was a marketplace in India, and they were selling fish on the side. And I remember as I walked past that, the lady that was there motioned up to me and inquired, "Did I want fish?" Sean sent some fish home with me the other night, Sean, that I enjoyed very much. It wasn't like the fish I'm describing now. The lady reached down and wanted me to have a good glimpse of the fish she was trying to sell me. She took her hands and did like this, and I'm not exaggerating, hordes of flies just swarmed, they just boiled up off of that newspaper with the fish laying there with glazed eyes, had been dead for quite a while, and she's shooing these flies, and I'm not exaggerating whatsoever, you had to bend down and look under the flies before they landed again to decide which piece of fish you wanted to buy. Now, if I talk with you about honey-glazed pastries and the greatest pastry shop that this world has ever known, this side of heaven is there right outside the train station in Paris. You can think, man, I, I could probably get in on that, okay? One of the worst memories of my life is that we were there at the train station Dixie and Susie wanted a purse, and I gave them my last money, Scott, to buy a purse and had no money left to get pastries to bring home with me. It still haunts me to this day, Seth. Pray for me. Never make that mistake. If you got a chance, look, you can buy a purse in America, but you'll never get those pastries here. You just won't find them. So the reality of the matter is, if I tell you about that experience, it's all good. But if I tell you about the rotten fish on a hot street side somewhere outside of Bombay, India, it doesn't really have a great deal of attraction to you. Okay. So here's the raven. The raven's not flying out to a pastry shop. Listen, the raven is flying out looking for decaying filth. And I think that this story is in the Bible because God's trying to remind us that we're to be harmless as doves, okay? We're not to, we're not to live our life in such a manner where our appetite can be so easily satisfied by the bloated, floating carcasses that, 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 that are in, found in this world system. It's all wicked. It's all sinful. It doesn't help. Don't get satisfied with garbage. It's everywhere, guys. Don't get satisfied with filth. It's everywhere. It's on your, it's on your phones. It's, it's on billboards. It's on magazine racks. It's, it's everywhere. It's just, the, it's just the filth of the world. And, and um, we, we need to not ever... Listen. Listen to me. We need to never go there for nourishment. Now, everybody that knows me knows I like boiled peanuts, okay? Now, if you've never had them and don't know if you like them or not, 
then I can cut you some slack. But if you've tried them and you say you don't like them, then, then you've got some spiritual problems that are deeper than anything. It's way above my pay grade. I like boiled peanuts, man. You go you, in the South, they're, they're, at, they're at convenience stores. There stands on the side of the road. People do nothing but live off money they make selling boiled peanuts on, on roadsides in the South. And I love it. We, we eat them watching football games. I mean, we eat them riding down the road. I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter. I, it just doesn't matter. I just like boiled peanuts. But my wife will say this, that she doesn't like it. And again, there's problems there that our marriage has survived these years. However, she doesn't like them. And this is what she says to people. They look at her and say, do you like boiled peanuts? And she says this, no, it's an acquired taste. Okay? It's an acquired taste. Meaning that I've been eating them since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. When I used to preach camp in Georgia a good bit, they would bring me a big vat of boiled peanuts and I'd sit on the front porch of the camp and just eat peanuts and we'd fellowship and talk. It's an acquired taste. Well, can I help you with this? Listen to me. You were born in innocence in this world. Now, I understand that you had a sin nature within you, but here's the problem. If we're not careful, we acquire a taste for what the raven ate. We can acquire a taste. And it begins, it begins slowly. Man, can I just talk to the dads here for just a moment and any dad that's listening and mom for that matter? Can I just tell you, you ought to be really careful about what you give your kids that open up the opportunity for them to acquire a taste? Are you kidding me? They've got a TV in their room and it's hooked up to cable. And they've got the control and they can watch what they want to. Now, look, you, you can get mad at me if you want to. Don't bother me in the least bit. I won't lose any sleep over it tonight whatsoever. Not a dime's worth of sleep. But if you're doing that with your kid, you're not smart. And you, you ought to talk with somebody at least that's got that figured out. You're telling me your kid's got a cell phone that's got access to the Internet and you trust him? Okay, well, you're not smart. Preacher, I don't appreciate you saying it. Well, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So if you trust in your heart, you're a fool. How much less when you give access to your children who are good people? I've counseled with young men that have had problems with pornography and things. You know, none of them come to me and say, I want to tell you something, I hate God. I hate God. I hate righteousness. I hate decency. I hate my wife. I hate my mom, you know. No, no, nobody's ever come up to me and said, I just, I just despise everything good in this world. No, these are good people that are struggling and fighting because they do want to do right. They, they, they want their life to count for God. But like the raven, they've acquired a taste for something that they should not be eating. And sometimes it's due to the lack of wisdom in a parent to give access to the child with no accountability on a computer. Computers have ruined, the internet has ruined more good men than anything that, 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 that has ever been provided for in this world. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to speak against it any more strongly. And, 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 and the internet can be helpful, but it can also be damaging. So be careful. My dad was a lost man. Till I was 16 years old, he was on his way to hell. But my dad was, was so much of a man that never did my dad ever hesitate to look me in the eye and say no? He never, he never backed down. My dad was a better Christian father to me than a lot of guys that, that spent their life in a good Bible preaching church because he had the gumption and the integrity to look his son in the face and say, no, you're not doing that. You're not going there. No, you're not doing that. He never failed to step up to the plate. So I'm just, I'm, look, we're, this is a men's class. I'm calling us out. 
I'm calling us out. Step up and, 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 and don't you be the vehicle through which your child acquires a taste for something they shouldn't have. Help them. Encourage them. Lead the way and, and have the integrity uh, for them to do right. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 talks about people whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. What does that mean? They worship their appetite. And it's not a good appetite. It's, it's something whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Guys, let me ask you a question. How's your appetite? What, what have you acquired a taste for? Can I just tell you, God can free you from that. God can bring you into the safety and the security of a relationship with Him while the whole world boils around you and riptide sweep people left and right while the screams, while the screams of destruction can be heard outside, inside your life. God can bring you into a, a, a place of peace and, and a place of security in your walk and your relationship with Him. If you want it, you can have it. Last of all, let me talk with you about the dove, okay? So the, the raven's released, and the raven flies off, and he's just like, oh, man, thank you, Noah. This is awesome. I cannot believe what I get to feast on. And he thinks he's having a good time, okay? Never comes back to the ark. Doesn't need the security. Doesn't need the safety. No, he's all good. He's in his, listen, he's a scavenger. He's in his element. Oh, dear God, and I mean that sincerely, that God would deliver us from being spiritual scavengers. Where our appetite is met by the things of this world. And then there's the dove. Noah released the dove and the dove found no place to rest. And so the dove came back to the ark and sent it out the second time. And that time the dove came back with an olive branch. So he knows things are getting better out there. Finally, he sends the dove out again. And, and, and finally, finally the dove doesn't return because there's a place for it to light and rest and nest. So, so here's the... Here's the when it went out the first couple of times, there was nothing alluring to it. Here, here's the deal. Here's the dove flying around the same area that the raven flew around, but the dove looks out and says, ain't nothing here for me. Ain't nothing here for me. There's nothing here for me. There's just nothing here for me. I remember when I was a kid, at the bowling alley, there would be guys on their knees in the bushes throwing up everything they had thought about eating for the last couple of days. I wasn't the best kid, but I remember, I remember this. I thought to myself, I don't want that. That's not what I want. I don't, I don't want that. So I stayed away from the alcohol and the things they drank. Amazing thing to me is today how pastors excuse away those very things that we took stands against back in those days and God the Holy Spirit convicted our hearts about to live right and now they're pastors today leading a wretched example of basically saying, no, there's some good, there's some good stuff floating in the world. No, it's not real good. It's not real good. I remember kids coming to class with glazed eyes. Sitting out in a parking lot in high school smoking dope and coming into class and, and, and you could tell their slurred speech and by the look in their face that they were stoned. And you know what I thought to myself, I don't want that. I don't want that. I mean, I mean that, that, that be harmless as doves so, so that God would give us enough sense to look out at a world and say, no, that's not really what I'm after. That's not really what I want. I don't want to feed on that. I, I don't want to eat that. That's not, that's not where I'm going to get my nourishment at and my, and, and, and my food out. I'm going to tell you, 
that there's going to come a day and a time Jesus is going to come back. You know what He's going to do? He's going to purge this world with fire. He's going, he's going to make it again anew and He's going to clear it out for us. There ought not be anything here that satisfies our hunger. So we've talked about the restaurants and we've talked about, so what is it, what is it that you're hungry for? You ever crave a walk with God? Do you, do you ever want to know God so well that it feeds your soul? And maybe you're there, and I, I pray that you are, but if you're not, if you're not, what, what about when Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, and here's His promise. If you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, if that's what you're hungry. No, 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 no. If you're a raven, if you're a scavenger, and you're just looking somewhere to light where everybody else is feeding, well, you can have it. Prodigal son did. He wound up in a hog pen. Would fain have filled his his belly with the husk that the, that the swine did eat. That's all he had. And it left him lacking. But, listen, if, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus said, for they shall be filled. If that's what you're hungry for, you want righteousness? If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll fill you with that. I'll feel you. So we have to determine. We have to determine what our appetite is for. What is our what is our diet? So so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Look at me. We hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we don't read our Bible every day. Well, that's really. So so we say I hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I'm not going to read the book of righteousness. I, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't hunger enough to, I, that I'll read this every day. Really? Well, then maybe that tells us something about what's wrong with our diet and what's not really true about our appetite. Faithful to church? What, what about... Where the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. I, I didn't write that. The assembling. That's not staying at home. That's coming to church. That's being faithful at church. Okay. So as leaders, we've got to lead our family in this, in, in this direction. I, I, don't want, I don't want my kids seeing me looking around the world with an eye for all of the pieces of scavenge and refuse that float. I don't want the world, I don't want my kids seeing me with a hunger for the world. We've got to set the right example and what kind of groceries do we bring home? That's a, that's a metaphor. But what are we watching on TV? What do our kids see us looking at? How, in all honesty, I mean, I mean are, are we giving them an acquired taste for something? Guys, we've got a responsibility. What are you, what are you hungry for? Are we prodigals that are polite? We slip away, we go to the hog pen every now and then, or are we people that want to stay close to the Father? Now I want you to look at me. Everybody look at me for a moment. Listen to me. Nobody in this room is better than the other person. I'm not a better person than you are. You're not a better person than the next guy. You're not better than me. We're all made out of the same stuff. We all have the same struggles. We all face the same temptations. And for us to say, you know, there's nothing in the world that, no, no, there's something in the world that allures you. Sure, it's, it's yeah, the, the, that's how the world's designed. The pleasures of sin, it's called, accurately in the Scripture. 
but the hunger, the, the, what we have to do. You know, there was a time in my life I didn't read my Bible every day. I didn't know I, didn't know I was supposed to read my Bible every day. I mean, I, I, was, I, I got saved when I was 12, but we went to churches that didn't teach anything. All of a sudden, I go to a church, and you know what? People are, people are reading their Bible every day. You read your Bible every day. People are memorizing Scripture. Wait a minute. They're going out and telling other people about Jesus. You, really? I'd never heard of anything like that. Memorize Scripture for a play, but, I mean, there was no, there was no systematic way of committing Scripture to memory. Thy word have I hid my heart. None of that kind of stuff. But, but, but you know what happened to me? I acquired a taste for it. Now when I get up in the morning, the Bible's laying there, and I'm, I've got things going, and you know, you know what I try to do? I try to do this first. So if you send me a real early text, I probably won't answer it, because I, 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 a lot of times I, I'm, my phone's going off, and a lot of times I silence it, because I'm trying to read the Bible and, and get through some early things with God so that my, the rest of my day will be better ordered. Put, put Him first. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And grow, grow, grow. That's a great song. I just, that just came to me. It's an amazing thought. So, so, so you say, well, preacher, I, you know, you sound like a better person than me. That's not what I'm trying to sound like. I had to acquire a taste, and I'm still acquiring it. And there's still struggles, and we're still human. And we're still sinners, and we're not right. But the challenge the challenge is, don't fill your belly with the things of the world. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Jesus said, I will fill you if that's what you want. Father, help us, I pray, that we would be men of God. I thank you for these guys, Lord. They're, 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 they're Lord God, they're my friends. I love them. I thank you for them. They encourage me, they bless me, they support me, they help me, they stand with me, and I'm grateful. And I could not have done what you have done through me if you hadn't done it through us. And I thank you for them. And I pray that you would help all of us to be the man that you desire us to be, dear Father that we would not find the filth of this world calling us to scavenge, but that we would so enjoy the safety of your presence that we would leave all that behind. Lord God, help us, I pray, to be more like the dove than like the raven. And we'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.